Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Matt Harmon and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Joined by Dalton Del Don here on the Midweek Show. Dalton, it's a special 2020 recap edition of the love to see it, hate to see it, stats-based podcast. I'm hyped to talk to you today, man, but what's going on with you? Uh, as I was complaining to you backstage, I faced uh, Stephon Diggs in the finals last night, entered up 23 points. You know, he's pretty quiet through one quarter, feeling good, and then uh, that, that, that quickly turns. So uh, fitting into a frustrating fantasy season for me. How about yourself, Harmon? Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you. you. You might feel differently than me, but I really care more about, like, the, number one, the players that I like doing well and also like my predictions being good this year as opposed to my actual fantasy teams. Like no one – we all know that no one cares about our teams. Um, and obviously like I'd like to win some, some 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 leagues. I'd like to win some money when that's on the line too. But more so care about like my predictions being correct. So the fact that in the last two ga- – like last two games of the regular season in fantasy – the playoffs in, in fantasy football we got Devonte adams uh going off on sunday night football and monday night uh we get stefan Diggs going off i'm like you know what i'm that's good that's good for me i'll take that i'll take that as my ending i feel pretty good about that yeah i know Diggs is your guy and i've never doubted you as far as a route runner he's he's awesome but i did question his fit in year one in buffalo and we'll talk more about josh allen and, and, and moving forward later in the show but Wow, what a what an awesome first year those guys ended up having. And for fantasy managers and for the Bills, I mean, they're an exciting team moving forward. Yeah, they're like must-see TV. I think yeah. they're the team that has the best chance to give the Chiefs a push in the postseason. Well, depending on what the hell's going on with the first team we're going to talk about here, I think we can get to that. But like, yeah, Buffalo, it's it's unbelievable. They do everything right. They're like... They're, they really are like an analytics uh, fantasy dork's dream where they don't even really try to establish the run. They just throw the ball. They spread the field. They do all of the the motion, the play actions, uh, all of that stuff really well. So they're such a fun team to watch. And by an extension, too, you know, Brian Dable, uh, I hope we get some clarity on whether it's Brian Dable, whether it's Brian DeBall, Brian, well, whatever. Anyways, their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, He's going to be a guy that I think is a lock as a head coach next year. Uh, and there's a lot of fun landing spots for him, too. So we'll get to see um, that evolution, too. And also, it's funny, I, I hadn't really, I hadn't, I could kind of really forgotten that he's been an established figure in the NFL for a long time. But it is uh, hilarious where every once in a while, when you talk about the great coaching that's gone on in Buffalo this year, you know, some Chiefs fan will hit you up and be like, yeah, I remember when he was the offensive coordinator of the, um, 
Tyler Thigpen slash Brady <laughs> or Brody Croyle like Chiefs team or whatever. I'm sure I'm getting the quarterbacks wrong, but it's been a, a hideous run of quarterbacks in Kansas City pre Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. So, anyways, yeah, it's just always funny. Like some of these offensive coordinators, they go through the. They don't all just become Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, where they're these master hits right away. Sometimes it takes a little, a little bit of time for those guys as well. Yeah, the coaching has been fantastic. It was surprising to see that they ranked uh, toward the bottom of the league in fourth down conversions uh, when the graphics showed uh, during the Monday night game after they picked up three of them in the first half. But then I realized, oh, that's just because they're too busy picking up first downs before they even get to fourth down. Uh, I think they were setting record for the amount of first downs lately they're getting in game. So they're just so efficient. The play action. Um, yeah, Brian Dable, however you pronounce it, definitely the next uh, head coach in, in his future. And um, yeah, I'm with you. They're the team that's really the, the more intriguing one, certainly more so than, say, the Steelers, right? Yeah, let's get into the Steelers because uh, I'm still tilting about what went down in that in, in that second half and not that like, I wasn't happy to see it because uh, I was happy to see it but the, it took until week 16 but the Steelers finally throw the damn ball downfield um, it this doesn't really matter for week 17 if you're playing in daily fantasy or if you for whatever reason still have your fantasy championship in week 17 um, and this is why you shouldn't have your fantasy championship in week 17 because Mason Rudolph is going to be starting he'll be he'll be playing for the Steelers in week 17 uh, so we have no idea if that's going to really carry over but you know I- I'm still looking at the full season because obviously I had to check in on my guy Deontay Johnson who in basically 12 games has uh, 828 yards and seven touchdowns but 9.7 yards per catch. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster with he might he might catch 100 balls this year if he plays in week 17. You wouldn't guess it cuz he only has 766 yards on the season. He has like a running back type of stat line, uh like a, a super efficient running back, but nevertheless, you get my point. Anyways, last week this comes in uh thanks to Warren Sharp. Roethlisberger was 8 of 14 for 170 yards and two touchdown passes on travel on balls that traveled more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. His previous season high this season was 157 on such throws this per Sports Info Solutions. So he, they really let it rip in the second half. Uh Dalton, where the hell where the hell did this come from, man? I I'm still like weirded out by it. Yeah, it's a, it was a weird game just in general. I mean, it looked like they were dead down 24-7. They had as many rushing yards at halftime four as the Colts had tackles for losses. Um, and it was crazy, the the stat they kept saying, only the Jets have a higher three and out percentage this season on offense in this Steelers offense. Um, not sure why Claypool's only getting six targets and Juju and Deontay are combining for 27 um, but yeah, then the second half, they're able to do this. I mean, a big, big Ben supposedly tweaked his knee week 13, but I, I don't know what's prevented them from at least trying this before the second half and being forced to do so when down, but it was nice to see they're still capable of it. I don't really know how to value them for next year. If you can ask me that, because yeah. what's the quarterback situation going to look like another year older, big Ben, um, my son's name's Mason, but he's certainly not Rudolph is not the answer uh, for Pittsburgh. That, yeah. That'll definitely be ugly. You, you knew something was weird there when the spread opened. Browns minus seven. The writing was on the wall that Pittsburgh was definitely not going to bring their A game this week. But um, yeah, I don't really care about the drops. Like I'm sure you you would agree with Deontay Johnson. He has a bright future in the league, but it's a weird season in Pittsburgh. I have no idea how to properly evaluate it. The team can't run. Nice to see that they have at least the ability to throw the ball downfield. But man, come postseason, I will be loading up on, on my pools and whatnot on Bills players over Steelers. I, I just really think they they have one and done written all over them. I agree. The only thing is I would have 
absolutely locked that in going into the second half of last week's game. I would okay. be like, yeah, they're one and done. They could lose out. Like they started 11, 11 or no, they might be 11 and five, you know, like that looked like it was that type of operation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now the one, again, the one thing that I get hung up on is my thought is they're not throwing the ball downfield. They're doing this extremely short passing game because Ben's arm is cooked. Um, that was my only thought as to what this could possibly be because Johnson can run downfield routes. Like I think part of the reason that he's dropped so many passes is they've fed him, you know, like 14 targets per game. And 10 of them have been these two yard crossers or drags that get there in less than two seconds. That's that's horrible. You can't adjust to that. Number one, number two, you're just going to get slammed every now and again. You're not going to move the football that way. So I thought, okay, they must be doing this because that's all Ben can do. And obviously Juju's going to get fed in that area because that's where he functions best as an over-the-middle big slot type of receiver. But then they opened the damn thing up in the second half for Colton. Ben looks like he's throwing some absolute dimes out there. You know, Johnson's hauling him in. Claypool's hauling him in. Even Juju, is he can be used as a vertical weapon when he's in the slot. So... I don't know if it's uh, Ben was just so insistent on like I don't want to get hit that then the offensive coordinator Randy Finkter or Finker or Fink, Fink sorry Finkter uh, he like just specifically designs this very hyper focused approach. But if Ben can throw these type of balls, then they have a much higher ceiling in the postseason because then you know their defense is good. Like if they can build a lead with their passing game which they certainly can, if they can build a lead with their passing game, then their defense and TJ Watt can tee off on players. Uh, You know, Minka Fitzpatrick can be that ball hawk in the secondary. So for this year, I'm going to just leave open. I typically, I tend to agree with you, but I'm going to leave like a slight opening that they could be better in the postseason than we think of because they showed this against a good defense, by the way, in these two quarters to end week 16. Yes. Okay. So the only counter I'll come at you is the Colts defense has been fading a little bit for what it's worth the last three weeks. They're bottom 10 in yards per play. But I think most importantly, it's just that we physically, we saw that they're physically capable of throwing the ball downfield. That's more important than whoever they were playing. So yes, this probably does uh, give them a little bit more upside entering the postseason than um, certainly entering halftime when it looked like maybe big men had to be benched. So yeah, certainly it was something nice to see and two quarters of, okay, they're not done yet. Totally agree. And yeah, when it comes to next year, I feel like it's impossible to really project the Steelers at this point. You know, when it comes to Deontay Johnson, yeah, you shouldn't care about drops. Like separation is the trait that you care about, right? And we know that Johnson gets open at all levels of the field. Uh, And targets are generally an indicator of player quality. Like, sure, you can sometimes have a guy like Kelvin Benjamin that gets fed an absurd amount because there's no one else around him. But that's not the case in Pittsburgh. And that means that the Steelers coaches and Ben Roethlisberger think that Deontay Johnson's very good. Now, I don't know that he's going to get this much volume next year because I feel like the wheels fell off this offense at different points. And like, he's the only thing that was really working sort of, you know, sort of in that degree. Uh, But Juju might be gone next year. You might not be back in Pittsburgh. It might just be, Johnson, Claypool, and, you know, a few more years of James Washington. So there's a chance the volume still could be there. But like you said, we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. Um, ben says he wants to come back for next year, but we'll see what he – we don't know what that version of Ben Roethlisberger looks like. Looks like. So, yeah, there's a lot up in the air there. Let's talk about another offense that's um, a bit confounding. Uh, unbelievably, 
the the Bucks just I've never seen a team just drop a hammer so hard in a single half. I, I had been saying on this podcast that the Bucks can't string together four consistent quarters of football. Uh, didn't matter on Saturday. They go against a dead in the water New York uh, Detroit Lions team, and uh, this comes from John Ledyard. John Ledyard on this uh, on this note here, which I think is interesting because this is something that Brady's been criticized for. Since week 11, Brady is 15 of 24 on 20-plus air yard throws for 505 yards and six touchdowns. All of those are top marks among quarterbacks in that span. Um, Obviously, Brady is not a top-five fantasy quarterback. He's QB7 on on, – excuse me, he's he's QB8 on the year because he doesn't have any rushing upside. That just goes to show you how important uh, rushing is in fantasy football. But what did you think of that Bucks offensive explosion against the Lions uh, in Week 16? Yeah, I guess they do deserve credit for four quarters together because of the final two against the Falcons, and then the first two, Brady's last four, are like crazy. Throwing for like nearly 700 yards or something. But um, man, what a uh, just an explosion with everyone watching um, the standalone game. Uh, the Lions' defense is pathetic. Uh, I don't know. Allowed- I don't know. Maybe maybe not. Maybe not everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> early in the fair. morning, uh, hungover after Christmas or something. That's I don't know. Fair. Maybe a that's few fair. people decided. I'll on the West Coast at least. I'll sleep through uh, or early. not pay attention to the Lions with a uh, a graveyard coaching staff too i mean what a what a train wreck this lions defense is so bad they have allowed the most yards per play over the last three weeks obviously partially because of facing this good tampa bay uh offense but they have a uh, the lions defense has this great combination of allowing the most rushing yards this season and the highest ypa on, on against passes so that's a a pretty awesome combo there blaine gabbert i believe threw his touchdown pass on his second pass uh entry in this game so four it's ugly either way so um yeah I mean, it's just really bad Lions defense, but props to the to the Bucks who have uh, looked pretty good, and they certainly have upside entering the postseason. And um, you nailed it with uh, with Brady's fantasy stats. It's just remarkable how how important it is to to get a QB that that runs the, in this day and age. And it's just so important. And, and Brady is the best example of that. All these TDs he's throwing, but with no rushing stats, there's just you can't even crack the top five these days. So that's something everyone has to have at the top of their minds at, at draft tables next year. Yeah, the perfect example of that is quarterback seven on the year is Ryan Tannehill. And uh, obviously, from from an efficiency perspective, Tannehill's an incredible passer. We know that because of what they do in that offense. But just from a passing stats perspective, Brady has him beat by four touchdowns. He has him beat by uh, a, a good amount of yards. But the rushing stats, uh, three one, two, three rushing yards for Tom Brady and 228 and five touchdowns for Ryan Tannehill. So yeah, that, that just goes to show the rushing uh, stats are huge. They're, they're very, they're obviously incredibly important. So uh, the Bucks, like you said, are perfect, perfect thing that you, that you noted there. They have a lot of upside going to the playoffs. I think they're a total, they're uh, the literal definition of a wild card team. Like if they get bounced in uh, an ugly one game showing, wouldn't be surprised, but if they're playing in the divisional round or even maybe in the NFC championship round, cause they just, they get hot. That's totally within the range of outcomes. Like that is, is very, it's encapsulated by their last two games. I think is just the range of outcomes there. And like you said, the four quarters that they've put together between the second half against the Falcons and the first half against the Lions, two of the worst defenses in the NFL that should be noted. Even if the Falcons have gotten a little bit better, uh, they might not necessarily face that type of stop unit in the postseason but all of these guys we know like when they can 
when they're on the same page, it's tough to stop a wide receiver trio like this. I mean, if Antonio Brown is starting to kind of round into form after not playing football for so long, yeah, then you're talking about one of the best receivers to ever play the game as your third option, and Chris Godwin is healthy and clicking at the right time. This is another team we have no idea what they're going to look like next season, though, because there's a lot of guys that are on the last year of their deal. Yeah, and Ronald Jones should be back this week if you're playing Week 17 for some reason. And boy, Rob Gronkowski is—I uh, I did not expect him to stay healthy all season long. Uh, you know, turning from that exodus at his age and his physicality. Um, so I could see them going into New Orleans. You're right, and surprising. I could easily see them losing Week One in the playoffs. But um, an interesting note is I don't believe Aaron Rodgers has ever had home field in the championship game. So a Florida team having to go to uh, to Green Bay to play there—that that would be fun to see Brady going to play the snow in a championship game against Rodgers. Yeah, no, that would be sweet. Uh, but it's a, and and I think Brady too. By the way, he he's not the type of guy where it's like Drew Brees going into Lambeau in the snow and like. Oh yikes! That that really has. Been oh right, I think right. from a, from a physical perspective, I think Brady's looked great this year. Like I think yeah. those deep stats show you too. Yeah. The arm strength is yeah. still there. The placement on deep balls is still there. It's it's more been he's learning in a, a new system, and and there hasn't always been a complete gelling there between him and Bruce Arians. That I think has led to some of the um, volatility in this passing game. Yeah, deep passes are uh, super impressive at his age, what he's doing, man. It really shouldn't be understated. I mean, he's what he's doing to simply no human being has ever done at this stage of, of their life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, obviously unprecedented, and he's the greatest of all time, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, let's move on to another team that's – it's they're surging late. Uh, it's almost kind of I, – I know a lot of Cowboys fans. I'm friends with a lot of Cowboys fans, unfortunately. Ugh, you hate to see it. Uh, shout out to my brother-in-law for getting me to be friends with this many uh, Cowboys fans. Anyways, point is they're like they have like mixed feelings about this this late season Dallas surge because they're sort of a twinge of what could have been had the defense rounded into form at any point. Uh, had Dak obviously played a full sixteen game season, even if they were they were losing games with Dak because of the defense. There's there's definitely just a little bit of a, a, a bittersweet twinge, but nevertheless. The Cowboys are on a hot streak. What do we make of that right now? And how are we spinning it forward? Not just to pretend, you know, they, this, hate to say it, this team could win the NFC East. Like, they, they, could be playing a, they could be playing a playoff game. What do we make of that and also uh, going forward into 2021? Yeah, I was going to say this team, it's, it's not like they're blowing wins like my Niners. What are you doing costing you draft slots? I'm glad you guys are playing hard for the coach, but the Cowboys might win their division. So yeah, I was surprised. I did not expect that. I thought the Eagles were going to win that game last week. They're up 14-3. Fletcher Cox leaves and then suddenly the wheels fall off. Cowboys completed the most 50-yard passes in that game in, in an NFL game this season. Three matching their whole total from the season previous before uh Zeke suddenly looked better than Tony Pollard um I don't know man NFL is tough to predict it's very frustrating I'm not a, a Cowboys fan but I loaded up on CeeDee Lamb and Blake Jarwin in all fantasy drafts CeeDee Lamb was definitely my number one but I drafted him in, in round seven and eight I was just super aggressive um with him and I think he would have probably had a lot better year if Dak Prescott had stayed healthy so uh Prescott and all these uh, these Cowboys guys are going to be some of the more interesting players to rank next year certainly uh, Ezekiel Elliot, I mean, because the situation, I mean, that Cowboys team, you could, you don't have to, to, to squint too hard to project them to lead the uh, NFC in scoring next year. And if he's going to be their feature back because of his contract, I mean, but I don't want him. So I don't know. What are you doing with him, Harmon? Yeah, I don't really want to draft Zeke. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, yeah. like you said, it's a, it's a back that has a proven track record. That's um, 
attached to what you like you said could be one of the best offenses in the NFL. That being said, I, I'm starting to with these running backs particularly. I want to be Bill Belichick. I want to be a year too early than a year too late. So if yeah. 2021 is Zeke's like final ride or whatever, uh, I'll I'll be okay with not having any of it when he, the wheels fall off in 2022 because at some point that's going to happen. He wasn't even that efficient from you know a yards per carry basis when Dak Prescott was playing like the pass catching buoyed him uh some of the scoring did but that I mean that's gonna happen when you throw the football as much as they did like let's not forget that Dak Prescott was on pace to not just break the passing yardage record but to shatter it by over 1200 yards like that is certainly within the range of outcomes next year because all of these guys Cooper Lamb Gallup, whether it's Blake Jarwin, whether it's Dalton Schultz, uh, Jarwin got a contract extension, so you'd assume he's going to be back as the starting tight end. All of these guys are going to be back there, and there could have been a much higher ceiling for this wide receiver trio. Like, I think all of these guys could have crossed a thousand yards, but as it stands right now, all three of them have five touchdowns. If Gallup gets three targets, I think he's going to get three targets in week 17, he's all of these guys will go over 100 targets on the year. There's still a, hu- a huge ceiling for this passing attack. I know I personally will be hyper tempted to just run this baby back next year. You know, take Gallup where he's going in drafts. Uh, take CeeDee Lamb where he's going in drafts. And I think Gallup's the guy who could be the, the big value there. But And we've seen his explosive potential. And also shout out to uh, Andy Dalton, too, because – yeah. This is a player who's he's stabilized Lots. this passing attack. I feel like we talked about it a little bit going into – I know I was on this narrative uh, on FFL in week 16. This this passing offense, if, you would, if you'd still thought of it as just a completely broken mess without Prescott, you were kind of missing the boat because since he's been back in week 11, obviously now this is including the game that they just had against the Eagles. Dalton has a 101.9 passer rating. He has 13 touchdowns, four picks. Uh, he's completing about 67% of his passes uh, at 7.3 yards per attempt. So there's there's some stabilization there. He's made himself some money as a top-tier backup. Let's, let's not pretend he's going to be a starting quarterback somewhere next year, but he's shown that even a stable quarterback can make this one of the best offenses in the NFL. Yeah, I'm running it back next year in fantasy drafts for sure. Their O-line has even been banged up this year. I believe Zach Martin may miss this important Week 17 game. Um, I'll be all, definitely Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and Blake Jarwin. Don't forget, he's he's pretty good. This offense does throw to the tight end. So, um, and their defense is going to be bad again. I mean, all these contracts tied up to these skill position players on offense, including probably you know uh, this theoretical Dak Prescott. I don't expect some big sudden uh, change in their defense being poor too. So I think that's going to be all conducive to a nice setup for a bunch of points, a point scored both for the Cowboys and for your fantasy teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's also talk about since we're talking about NFC East, and this is. Look, we're going to have to sit through Sunday night football with yeah. with the damn uh, Washington football team taking on the Eagles for the um, the division crown. I think Dallas can beat the Giants, which would mean the Cowboys are going to be scoreboard watching. Uh, well, no, not they'll be just watching their TVs on Sunday night football when Washington goes against the Eagles. Now, the biggest reason I was in on all these Cowboys receivers in week 16 was not that well, obviously they're great players. Dalton has stabilized the offense. We know all that, but also this Eagles secondary is a complete joke. And the problem for Philadelphia, why they've just had such a snake bit season, is 
when one thing gets fixed, another thing breaks. You know, it, it was that way even in training camp. Like the offensive line, the receivers, they all are getting hurt. Then here late in the season, their secondary starts to fall apart when they finally got what looks like a decent solution at quarterback. So what do you think? Uh, by the way, also this is just comes in from Tom Pelissero right now. He said that Ron Rivera is optimistic Alex Smith can start Sunday, but uh, they're not sure. And, you know, it's about functionality not soreness, according to Pelissero. So we'll see what happens there. But let's just say in a hypothetical world, Smith suits up for Washington. Do you think Washington or the Eagles win that game? I, I'm, so, I'm leaning toward the Eagles here. I know obviously Washington needs it more and their and Eagles secondary has been bad. They're just, the Cowboys just relentlessly picked on that undrafted free agent, Michael Jack. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, but I don't think Alex yeah. Jaquette. Okay. I don't think Alex Smith can do the same. And Terry McLaurin, is he healthy? So I, I don't think it's going to match up here. And I'm all in on Jalen, Jalen Hurts. I actually hope that he has a, a poor game here for, to kind of suppress his price a little bit at draft tables next year. But um, yeah, I'm all in on him. And I actually, I actually lean Eagles here coming off just such a dud in the second half but should be a fun game to watch on Sunday night what do you think what are your thoughts on it yeah I think whether Terry McLaurin plays is going to be big uh because he obviously missed last week I don't know what do we know anything about that about that injury anymore from that yeah I just know he was doubtful last week and I I don't think there's updates the the lack of info in early week this this year has been been frustrating i had him on multiple teams too so but poor yeah, into the year for him man bad a couple games back-to-back games fewer than 25 yards and a missed uh fantasy championship week so frustrating for mclaurin but he's another guy i would be happy to to run it back with next year I and mean, the quarterback situation can't be worse oh totally and but from this particular one uh this week like if he plays he can he can be the guy that runs through that secondary you know this this coming week if it's if it's Alex Smith back there I mean Taylor Heineke obviously Dwayne Haskins is gone he's been released by the team Heineke is a guy that uh is not gonna be throwing balls downfield Alex Smith not necessarily the greatest uh, downfield thrower either but Mm -hmm. I think you still you'd still prefer Smith to be back there uh than Taylor Heineke but we'll see what happens I think uh I think I'm I'm going to favor Washington in that game if Smith is back there. If not, though, yeah, we could easily be seeing Dallas the Cowboys, baby, in the playoffs, uh, which is a wild ride from where we were. And really nothing to hang your hat on because uh, this defense, I mean, this division is a total train wreck. Uh, let's move on to... Let's move on to the things we hate to see. And number one is, I think we, I don't know, you might not hate to see this because you're an NFC West guy, but the Rams offense is totally sinking. Right now, Jared Goff has an average depth of target of 6.5. Only full-time-ish starters below him are Alex Smith, Drew Brees. Uh, It's tied with former Washington football team quarterback Dwayne Haskins. It's lower than Ben Roethlisberger, which is, you know, it's not what you want. You don't want to be lower than Roethlisberger on that stat. Um, So, Goff obviously isn't. He's probably not. He's not going to play Week 17, right? It's going to be John Wolford as their backup quarterback. Uh, He's probably going to start Week 17. The Rams could find themselves outside looking in on the playoff picture because of this. But what do you make of Jared Goff? Because even before the thumb injury against the Seahawks, he was not playing well, and all he's asked to do is basically not screw it up for the Rams' offense. But sometimes. He screws it up, and that's not what you want. I kind of liked Jared Goff uh, in fantasy, uh, Superflex, or just whatever, later even in non-Superflex. But uh, ultimately, uh, he's got 7.3 YPA on first downs, finished with 20 TD passes. Uh, he doesn't run, so uh, you, you 
obviously we just talked about that earlier. That was a big problem. But another issue here was the Rams defense was just way better than I expected. I thought they were declining a little bit, not going to be arguably the best in football. So the setup was here is this was not not great for Jared Goff fantasy and certainly real life. He has his issues. Last week was kind of a weird game. And I, I will say that it could have gone differently if Henderson isn't tripped up at the one foot line. Then there's a goal line stand and the Seahawks defense is just playing way better. They're actually have allowed the second fewest yards per play the last three weeks. It was the fewest until Buffalo last night um, over the last seven games. They've allowed just 203 passing yards. And remember this team was on pace to allow the most passing yards ever. Uh, traded for Carlos Dunlap and Jamal Adams and Shaq Griffin have gotten healthier. So that matchup wasn't as easy as it may have looked if you looked at just season-long stats last week. But this Rams offense is in trouble with John Wolford or whatever taking taking over. I mean, he hasn't attempted an NFL pass. Um, yeah, so for, for Goff's problems, he at least knows how to run McVay's system. And uh, broken throwing thumb entering the playoffs uh not certainly ideal let's let's take a quick audit of this Rams team in general I mean Cooper Cup scored a touchdown his yes. final five games last year he doesn't have a t- his one TD since week four this year I was falling for the Van Jefferson preseason hype I mean why did they talk him so much if he was going to be this uh useless I mean that that is odd looking back at that Tyler Higby had 48 targets over the last month last year he has 56 this season it's it's definitely just not gone the way uh, many expected uh, the Rams right now, or last I checked, I know entering last week, they had the number one rushing offense in DVOA, and yet that's produced zero f- valuable fantasy backs. I mean, how does that work? It's just been a, an odd year. Yeah, Cam Akers looked like he was finally going to be the prince that was promised for this backfield, but obviously gets injured uh, in week 15 against the Jets. And then Henderson gets injured last week, too. He's on IR. Uh, it might just be the Malcolm Brown show, which yeah. I know is you know, it's like a pet favorite of Sean McVay. Maybe this is all he really ever wanted was just to have Malcolm Brown back there, you know, the backup quarterback. I, I doubt it. But again, he is a coach's favorite type of guy. I noted this um, early in the season that these two like receivers, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and then obviously the tight ends, none of these guys had any ceiling because Jared Goff is their quarterback. And the I, I know people keep bringing up, well, Goff has had moments where he – has had these monster games. You know, they, it comes back to that 2018 game against the Vikings. That's like 100 years ago in NFL time at, at this point. Yeah. And I remember that game. That was like Goff was legit slinging it. And it's not that Goff is um, – He's he's not he's not a bad like arm talent type of quarterback. He can make throws, even in that same Super Bowl run to Brandon Cooks. He had a couple of absolute like heaters. You know he he's got the arm talent theoretically, but he's a net negative as a mover. Uh, that's at this point in the NFL, if you have no movement skills, you're you're leaving meat on the bone. That's number one. Number two, uh, he makes bad decisions, not just mostly under pressure. But even now, like it's starting to get to a point where he's making bad decisions when he's not under pressure. And against good fronts, and this is something that we can comment on the Seahawks too, they've started to become a tough pass rush team. You know, KJ Wright is playing great football too as a linebacker. Jamal Adams is obviously a blitzing playmaker. We know that. So there's there's this is the type of defense against Seattle last week that he that Goff would theoretically struggle against. But he's starting to kind of struggle against defenses where he he shouldn't even do that. And I think the Rams are in trouble. Uh, Cooper Cup is wide receiver 24 on the season. Robert Woods is wide receiver 12. But how often has, did Robert Woods win you a week in fantasy? Uh, most of that is actually buoyed because he has 24 carries for 155 yards and two touchdowns yep. uh, as a rusher. So 
yeah, I think the Rams offense is in trouble. I I know they've got a ton of money tied up to Jared Goff, but I would love to see I would love to see them bring in some competition or some sort of, you know, competent backup that isn't Wolford or Blake Bortles. Remember they had Blake they I think they bring him right. back Blake Bortles uh yeah. this the now because of uh because of the Goff injury, but yeah, it's it's pretty problematic right now. Couple final thoughts on the Rams' backfield. Um, from what I've seen, I'm going to be aggressive on Acres next year. Probably just uh, result in more of the same headache, whatever. But I'm just going to bet on him next year. I'm sure he will be the first of obviously of them to go. But he seems to me he separated himself. Um, but for Week 17, or if you're playing DFS, uh, Malcolm Brown with the backfield to himself against an Arizona defense that just made my guy Jeff Wilson look like Walter Payton could be very interesting. I know the quarterback situation there might be a problem, but uh, Kyler Murray's banged up too. So I don't know. The Rams game script might not be horrific there. So Malcolm Brown and DFS definitely intriguing week 17. Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, am I crazy for trying to go Cam Akers next year? And, or do you think it's going to be more of a three-headed monster and Daryl Henderson's still there and all that? I think you, I think you're on the right path there. I think that when he was, when he when he came onto the scene and like finally got caught up as a rookie, uh, and I, we talked to Jordan Rodriguez on the podcast in the offseason. She reported that you know they really loved Acres, but he was having a you know a slower offseason because they're just trying to get him onboarded and get him up to date with this system. And it's a tougher rushing system to come into the NFL and master right away. I mean, Daryl Henderson has looked great when he's gotten the ball this year, but his eyes were not caught up to uh, his feet and everything like he can do as a mover that wasn't there as a rookie. So it's, it's that type of system where you're not just necessarily going to drop young players in and they're going to start to hit, but acres when he finally did get caught up later in the year and got healthy and everything like that, he was looking great and they were using him as a workhorse. I don't think they have any real reason. You know, even when Henderson was, uh, we were singing his praises on this podcast, like PFF's number one ranked running back, yada, yada, yada. Um, he, he wasn't a true every down 25 plus touches workhorse like Cam Akers was. Akers, I compare it to guys like Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones in the past where their rookie years, I've been off on these guys because they're still in split backfields. Like I didn't draft any Aaron Jones when he was a rookie and people were really excited about him or it might've been a sophomore year or whatever. Nick Chubb, same thing. Cause Carlos Hyde was still there, but then those guys finished their, their breakout years strong uh, in the second half. And then they've obviously been great in previous years. Cam Akers, I think is the same type of thing. I didn't draft Cam Akers one single time. Cause he was disgustingly priced as like a fourth, fifth round pick, yeah. but then he finishes the year strong. And I think mm-hmm. I'm going to be in on him next year. So I'm with you a long way of saying that basically. Yeah, I remember last time we saw him, he was playing the second half of a game through a high ankle sprain, and Daryl Henderson saw zero snaps then. So I do think the coaching staff made it pretty clear who they value the highest as well. Yeah, I think that we, uh, we've we definitely seen that. One more for uh, things we hate to see. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> Jerry Judy. Uh, we talked about it earlier. I don't think drops matter. Um, I don't think it's indic- indicative of, like, this is going to ruin his career. And there's been some embarrassing – there's an embarrassing article in the Denver Post like citing catch rate, which is not all drops. Like anyway – and like calling him a kid. That's some embarrassing discourse right there. We don't need to get into all that. But five drops uh, against the Chargers last week. He's had a drop problem this year. He's like at a 20% drop rate on the season, which is the highest of you know relevant wide receivers. That's higher than our guy Deontay Johnson. Um what do, what do we make? What do we make about this? Because he's another guy like Johnson gets open, 
so easily. That was what he was known for coming into college. And I think that's translated to the pros, but some other issues have come here as well. Oh, I, I used Drew Locke and Jerry Judy in DFS this week. Locke has had good success. He dominated this Chargers team the last time he faced him against that cover three. So I watched Mr. Judy quite quite uh, intently this week. And man, uh, the guy's racked up air yards this season. I think he ranks fifth. Uh, five is the same number of drops he had Sunday. I mean, he, it was back-to-back plays at one point in the first half. Then right afterward, another one in the end zone. And then Locke missed him wide open for a 70-yard TD that was all on Locke. And then, just to finish it off, man, uh, Judy drops a, a pass with 30 seconds left that would have probably resulted in the game going into overtime. So, I mean, all kinds of yeah. stat, to, stats he left on the field. I mean, that could have been another 10 minutes of action. So, five drops, very, very frustrating. But having said that, I'm going right back to him uh, this week in DFS. $12 in Yahoo, locked just 22 at home against the Raiders, 15 targets. I mean, man, that, that performance uh, last week was obviously bad. Having the Raiders feel not so bad taking Henry Ruggs over him. But I'm going right back to Judy. Drops, whatever. It happens. Whatever. But very frustrating, let me tell you. He was my least favorite player on the field this weekend. <laughs> I'm sure you were not enjoying uh, the montage of, of just drop pass after drop pass. So the thing with Jerry Judy... I, he drops are one thing. I do think he struggles in contested situations, in tight physical coverage. And this was something that he struggled with at Alabama. You know, there's no way to really, this is the problem with drops discourse in general is like, is that a drop or is that him losing the ball in a contested situation? I don't consider that. I think that and like Deontay Johnson just dropping passes over the middle of the field. Those are two different things. Unfortunately for Jerry Judy is he's doing both right now. I think the (laughs) drops thing is whatever. I'm not worried about that. I do think that you could question what is his ceiling as a wide receiver, can he be a, a top 12 wide receiver in fantasy? Can he be a guy that's a wide receiver one every single year when sure he gets open at all levels of the field, but if you're going to be an elite number one wide receiver, you've got to do that. And you've got to win the ball in tight situations. Uh, that's why I love a guy like Terry McLaurin. Cause he does both and a guy like Allen Robinson, Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, all of these enormous uh, guys that have had these massive seasons. They do both. Uh, Devontae Adams, another guy, does both. So can Jerry Judy be that player? I think that's the biggest question we have to ask about it, especially with next year. It's going to be really tough to sparse out the to parse out the targets here because you've got Jerry Judy, you've got KJ Hamler as sort of a speed slot receiver, you've got Noah Fant coming off a, an up and down year, but when he's healthy, he's been pretty good. And oh, by the way, I want to talk about a guy who in his rookie season struggled with drops and then became like the best 50, 50 ball receiver in the NFL. Cortland Sutton's coming back next year, and I think Cortland Sutton's established as a fringe high end to number one type of receiver. Whereas Jerry Judy's still trying to find his way there. That is slightly problematic when you're projecting him for next season. Great points. Couple things. Almost every week you'll find on Twitter a a nice clip of Judy just dusting someone with his route running right right at the line. Oh, yeah. Very, very impressive, all that. But all the concerns you bring up are so valid, especially just his fantasy situation next year. Who knows who's playing quarterback? Who knows who's playing quarterback? But all those mouths to feed Fant Hamler. And Cortland Sutton, do not forget how good he looked in the preseason. I mean, the hype on him was like, rank him as a top 10 fantasy wideout, even with the drafting of Judy. Like, this guy is going to be an alpha. Uh, Don't forget that when you you try to talk yourself into Judy. And obviously, last week, it helped him, the 15 targets with Hamler leaving concussed uh, relatively early. So I still think, don't overrate the drops. 
but it's certainly to the point of at least like eye-opening and kind of looking at that, like what's going on here. Um, and uh, I like him in DFS week 17. Next year, though, it's certainly a crowded situation with, uh, with an uncertain quarterback, quarterback situation as well. Yeah, a lot of questions beyond the drops. Like, sure, that's an easy one to talk about, but there's a lot more to talk about uh, with with Jerry Judy there. And I think the Sutton thing is the biggest one. Corlin Sutton, uh, I know this is not a guy that anybody likes right now because of all the injuries this year, but he was on a Kenny Galladay tri- type of trajectory to me where yeah. first year just can't get open, uh, will occasionally win some contested passes, but drops too many, whatever, leaves plays on the field. Second season for both of these guys, they looked like, oh, they're – they're ascending vertical threats and contested catch guys, big play players. I thought, what like Galladay's third season, I thought he he transformed into a true number one type receiver. Obviously, missed a bunch of time, and this is fourth season. Sutton, same type of way. Uh, he's a guy who w- was developing and like could have developed into a full field player. Maybe that happens in his fourth, like nominal fourth NFL season, but his third uh, full season. So I agree with you. He's a player that I think I'll be. I'll be high. I'll be highest on him among the Broncos pass catchers, uh, despite the injury questions. But with that, Dalton, let's move into the last thing we're going to do here today. We're going to do one thing we got right, one thing we got wrong. Uh, if it's stat based, that'd be great since this is the stat show. Uh, like one metric that led you astray, one metric that kind of took you to the right direction on a player. Let's do the victory lap first, though. Let's start off positive, because why not, Dalton? We work hard all year. We might as well celebrate when we got something right. Give me something that uh, you got right this year and maybe a stat that helped guide you towards that. Okay, so uh, we both had Devontae Adams over Michael Thomas. I feel like that's pretty pretty decent. Um, I want to revisit our A.J. Brown versus Michael Thomas next year draft table at some point combo that we uh, we had. Um, oh, yeah, wrote, that's right. Remember I that? forgot about that. Uh, yeah, that's, that'll be interesting one with New Orleans' quarterback situation next year um, and maybe Corey Davis gone. But um, I don't think A.J. Brown is going number one, like I, my bold prediction was, of fran- uh, receivers. But Devontae Adams is coming off pretty pretty decent year. But um. Uh, I wrote a column saying Derrick Henry should go number one. You should consider, but man, I mostly got, I have a lot more to talk about in the got wrong part, but um, I'll say I don't have a great stat for this one, but Jalen hurts. I, um, I got him in every dynasty league I'm in. I stashed him in most super flexes, except the one Andy Barron's uh, used him against me and lost uh, in the playoffs ranked him. I think is my quarterback 33. So like he was my guy to get if you have all the backups, um, a Roto blurbs, Roto world's blurb right now says he's coming off a relatively down week. This dude threw for 340 yards last week, 8.8 YPA, <laughs> and ran for 70 in his third career start. I'm going to be all in on Hertz next year. Um, I feel like because he helped fantasy managers in the playoffs, especially Superflex leagues, um, he was one of the few I got right. What about you, Harmon? I think for me, this is maybe this is less like uh, quantitative, unless you want to talk a specific series that I do that I, I shall not name drop here. Um, you know, guys like Stefan wow. Diggs and Keenan Allen, uh, like making talent based, uh, evaluations over, over like just focusing on the situation. And the, the Diggs thing I think is a more important lesson than the Allen one. Cause let me tell you what, buddy, like it, I'll, I'll perfectly admit that this might be a right for the wrong reasons type of thing. I thought that Terod Taylor would be a pretty good quarterback. I didn't think Justin Herbert was going to come in and throw for 4,000 yards and break the rookie touchdown record. So I might've gotten that evaluate evaluation right without like realizing the key component was a player that I didn't see coming, which was Justin Herbert. But Keenan Allen was great for a large part of this year because he's a great player. Stefan Diggs, I think elevated uh, a, a guy like Josh Allen and Josh Allen then elevated him together 
because of the like of the talent of of this particular player. Like players can truly transform situations. We get hyper focused on well, this is what the Bills offense has been. Well, sometimes maybe the stat is just your own imagination, right? Because if you had the imagination that a great player could come in and actually change the landscape of an offense around a young quarterback, you would have benefited from that situation. So it's less of a stat and more of just like a personal philosophy, which is sometimes you got to have imagination on things. But I'm going to talk about why they can also bite you uh, on the wrong end of yourself in the next section. But anyways, Dalton, give me something that you got uh, wrong this year and maybe a stat that led you astray. Sure, man. Where to begin? Um, I, I was too aggressive <laughs> on the on the on the rookie backs. I certainly ranked Ceh too high. Um, I thought tight end was going to be deeper than ever. It turned out to be weaker than ever. So um, worse than Josh, ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Josh Allen is is a guy I will go with. Mister Fireball, my my local guy here, and I use CPAE the the, the completion percentage above expectation. Um, I believe I probably overrated that stat. Uh, it really dinged Allen. It really hated Tom Brady last year for sure. Um, and uh, I had Ben Baldwin on uh, one of our guest pod guys in August, and he basically said, you know, a lot of that does have to do with the system, but I was already dug in at that point. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, Josh Allen, for one thing, that stat, that stat uh, cannot account for the fact that Allen is arguably the most improved player in the NFL this year, maybe inarguably the most improved player this year. So stats, you know, can't account for that and some are more backward looking than, than forward thinking but um i would say cpae and the the advanced passing stats led me astray with guys like josh allen and tom brady who certainly bounced back and 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 were entire they were anything but inaccurate in 2020 that is that is true uh sometimes that you oh look there is no football stat that does not that just highlights one player um that is Almost impossible to do unless you're charting games and trying to uh, put them into quanti- in like into a quantifiable form. Uh, that being said, you're still you're going to take in some variables of other players because that's just how football works, man. You know that's an, that is an important stat lesson in general. Is that yeah, sure, like Brady's. It's just even like completion percentage over expectation. It's still completion percentage, and you know catch rate. Just like we talked about for Jerry Judy, some of the reason that he's sub 50% catch rate is yeah he drops the ball he doesn't catch everything that's thrown to him but sometimes those throws are completely uncatchable you know you talk about uh, a guy like Deontay Johnson has five deep ball receptions this year but per pro football focus only five of the 18 have been catchable so there's always going to be multiple variables there. You know, when we're looking at Josh Allen, like I, I said this a lot in the off season, but you can never discount the fact that his rookie season, he's throwing to damn Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones and LaShawn McCoy. And then here in his third season, he's throwing a Stefan Diggs, John Brown and Cole Beasley. That's a pretty big uh, transformational uh, well, look, set look, there. Let me follow one, one thing on that, uh, Harmon. I'd say that's my biggest lesson from this is, is I'm going to value system more than specific players. I would say, uh, moving forward, like, you know, year two in LaFleur's system, Aaron Rodgers, maybe it's not so shocking that he's having a better year. The Buffalo system is just so, so good. And the Browns, the difference in coaching with Stefanski, look at Mayfield. So I don't know, maybe less looking at, oh, how that individual performed of these crazy advanced metrics where we can look at every uh, next gen stat and just more so just bigger picture and, and who, who the infrastructure and the, the, the coordinators and all that maybe just matters far more than the actual players on the field. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing for us to be forward forward thinking and forward looking is 
trying to get ahead of the of the train there, right? Because yeah, if right. you saw think about it, if you saw Sean McVay, that was not a that was not a coaching hire that people were just, you know, hats off to. He was a young guy replacing a, a obviously a bit of a meme of a coach at this point, Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher, but like a long established NFL coach, super young. But if you had gotten ahead of that train, you would have been all in on Jared Goff, who was a completely transformed player. You would have been all in on Todd Gurley after one of his most disappointing fantasy seasons, you know, all of those years ago, back in 2017, same thing with, uh, if you had been in on Brian Dable, like taking the bills offense, you would have profited. So there are situations where we can get that right and wrong. Same thing with the Browns this year too. Like we talked about Kevin Stefanski. I thought that that was going to be, Oh, well, see, and this is where I, this is where I go wrong is sometimes I default too much onto player ability, specifically with the wide receiver position. I think you could probably understand why I do this, but with Beckham, like I ranked him at freaking wide receiver eight because I, I basically was like, you know what? All the other noise out of it. Beckham's a great player. And Oh, by the way, I believe in this system. I believe in the Kevin Stefanski offense. I think he's going to create a bunch of layups for wide receivers. Didn't matter. The Mayfield to Beckham connection still wasn't there. And then obviously the other biggest problem with Beckham is, Oh, he got hurt again. That tends to happen with this particular player. Definitely need to pay more attention to injuries and another receiver. Like I can sit here and tout the breakout receivers that I was right on this year. Uh, Marquise Brown, maybe not so much. Maybe it's going to be next year in 2021 with this player. But number one, I believed too much in the uh, in the player. I think he's made some mistakes this year. I, again, he's he's closing the year strong. He scored in four of his last five games. But the bigger problem, I think, is that I was wrong about again the coaching situation and the general infrastructure, and also just didn't want to hear about the incoming regression for the Ravens offense because yes again it's gotten back on track here to end the year but for the most part of this year this Ravens offense whether it's Greg Roman's fault or just Lamar statistically regressing a little bit back to the general mean of the NFL it has not been good here in 2020 uh, outside of what they started to do once they got out of their COVID outbreak which is obviously a variable here at this point in the NFL I was totally in on Marquise Brown as well but um Bottom line, I apologize, Josh Allen. Man, what a season, dude. That, that graphic they ran his career now, I think he's up to 59 or 60 touchdowns with zero interceptions in the red zone. Is that good? And he's just making those he's linebackers. Good. The linebackers are the ones that are that are getting injured on the sideline with those collisions. I thought Allen may get hurt, but no, no. Yeah, man, what, what a monster. Uh, might only finish third in the MVP, but... Uh, great season and great fantasy season. And that guy's going to be drafted so, so super aggressively next year and uh, rightfully so. So yeah, I got, I got Josh Allen dead wrong this year. Well, I think the lesson uh, more so than just don't value this particular stat or don't value this particular stat is to be balanced, right? Because sometimes the numbers can tell you the story. Other times players ability can tell you the story, but I would be a jackass if I sat here and told you, yes, always trust the talent, always trust the player, because uh, that obviously went wrong in my evaluation of Marquise Brown, even if it went right in my evaluation of Stefan Diggs. And same sort of situation, whether it comes to completion percentage over expectation, there are plenty of times when that's led us to the right conclusion about a player uh, like, hey, Carson Wentz is terrible in completion percentage over expectation. Maybe get him off the field. (laughs) <laughs> and the Eagles offense might come back to life. So it's a, it totally. is a balance and, there. And it loved Tannehill. Tannehill finished first in the stat by yes. a mile last year. So I know he appears to be far more real than fluke. So, so yeah, great, Absolutely. great point.
matter, right? It's just a piece Another, of the puzzle, like all stats, man. Just a piece of the puzzle. So the number one lesson is be humble. Don't uh, don't act like you got Easy. the skeleton key because nobody has the skeleton key. Whether it's a stat, whether it's their own eyeballs at player evaluation, we're all in this together. We're all working Easy to do when you're common goal. When you're predicting football, easy to stay humble. That's for sure. And if you're and if you're not staying humble while trying to predict football, there's something that says something about you more than anyone else. All right, Dalton, that's it here for the uh, midweek show, the, our last one of the year. I mean, this has been an awesome th- uh, podcast to do with you. Um, you've made me smarter. I hope we've made the listeners smarter together. Um, anyways, as we head here into week 17 and playoffs, and then to the off season. Plug your stuff, man. What you got coming up? Yeah, they are having me do a week 17 sit start. So maybe I'll gear more toward DFS with that. But I'll be putting that out early. I'll be Thursday morning. And yeah, it was great doing the pod with you all year, uh, Harmon. And I certainly hope we get to do, to run it back and do it again next year. That is the hope. But running it back next year, uh, always the biggest hope for those of us who get to talk about football for a living, man. That's uh, what a what a world. In the meantime, while you're missing our dulcet tones uh, here on the midweek show, and talking about all sorts of stats and the things we love to hate and see. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. And post it up with Chris Haynes if the NBA suits your fancy, and it should. NBA is uh, is back. I'm so confused by the sports calendar because of uh, coronavirus, but here we are. Uh, in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. That's at Dalton Del Don. Tomorrow, Dalton, you're going to be back. You're going to join Liz for a New Year's weekend preview pod. But until then, we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.